Very good. Appreciate Lauren filling in tonight for Susie. Uh, for those who may not know, and you may be wondering where Susie is at, Susie and the girls are in Oklahoma City tonight. Uh, our niece is getting married tomorrow night, and the girls are in the wedding, so they had to be at rehearsal last night, so it was easier for them to just stay a couple of nights over there. So that's where they're at. So again, I appreciate you, Lauren, filling in for her and making that go much smoother than uh, if we were a cappella. And Rachel, you could have filled in, but you didn't. So thanks for nothing. All right. She wasn't asked. Okay. Well, never mind. I just figured with your attitude, Susie asked, you said, nope, make Lauren do it. And that's how it happened. But anyways, all right. I'm teasing. I don't think that at all. But anyways, let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we will get started. Father, it is good to be in your house tonight. Lord, I am thankful for uh, this time that we have together. Lord, I pray that you would use it to speak to our hearts. God, I pray that this time would not be wasted for anyone, but Lord, that uh, our hearts would be challenged tonight uh, by the truth of your word. I pray this now in Jesus' name, amen. Well, last week, you may remember, we looked at the first seven verses for the second time, and in doing so, we watched as Paul spoke very specifically of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he referenced it as that which is glorious, that which is amazing, that which is overwhelming. And as you think about the gospel and all that it accomplishes in a person's life, you cannot help but declare that it is a glorious gospel. And so as we made our way down to verse number 7, we watched as Paul made this statement, but we have this treasure, that being a reference to the gospel, in earthen vessels, that being our body, that the excellency of the power of God uh, may be of God and not of us. And so what I tried to show us last week and remind us of was this, is that because of the glorious gospel that we are the recipients of, when people look at our lives, they should be able to see the transforming power of the gospel working. As a result of our salvation, someone ought to be able to look at us and declare that there has been an amazing, overwhelming transformation that has taken place. And while that is what should be, all too often the transformation and the change in a person's life is not what it should be. And so we should be challenged as individuals to display properly the power of God and the power of the gospel in our lives. So that was last week. Obviously, tonight we're going to look at just a couple more verses. As we begin, I want to share a quick story with you, and I want you to grasp on to the principle of the story, not the story in and of itself. But I want to share with you a story that took place from mine and Susie's time whenever we were living in Tulsa and I was on staff there at Eastland Baptist. In the church, it was a little bit of a larger church. I know some of you know that. And as a result of being in a little bit of a larger church, you don't get to know the story of everyone. But if you work at it, you can get to know people. You can get to know a little bit about their story and what's happening in their lives. And so in the church, there was this couple that would be considered a young couple at the time. They were a few years older than myself and Susie, and they were just one of those faithful, active young couples who was there every time the church doors were open. They were involved in different ministries, whether it be the choir, whether it be teaching, whatever it was, they were involved. They both had jobs. They were both working. They were both doing well. 
They were just one of those couples that any pastor would enjoy having in the church. Well, at that same time or during those years that we were there, every year the church hosted or sponsored a marriage conference over in Eureka Springs. And so for the two years that Susie and I were there, we went over with several different couples from the church, and and they would bring in the church wood, a guest speaker, to speak to us on a Friday night and Saturday morning and Saturday afternoon. And those guest speakers did not know us at all. They may have known our name, but they didn't know our story. They didn't know anything about us. And so on this particular year, or in this particular year, this guest speaker is doing his lesson, doing his sermon, whatever it would be called in a situation like that. And he was one of those speakers that paced around and walked as he talked and walked as he preached. And I have no remembrance at all as to what the content of the message was, as to what the topic was. But I remember this because it happened right in front of us. The speaker came down the row where this young couple was sitting, and we were right behind them, so we were watching all this very clearly, very vividly, and the speaker stopped right in front of this couple, directed his attention to the lady, this young lady, and said, what do you want? What do you really want? Now, I don't know how long we sat there in silence, but she did not respond to the question from the preacher at all. And so after a few seconds, here is what happened. The husband kind of put his head down and then kind of looked up and said to the preacher in a voice that was almost broken, she wants a baby. She wants a baby. The point of that is this, is that of all the things that she had and maybe of all the things she wanted, there was something above everything else that she could possibly want, and that was this. She just wanted to be a mom, and God had not allowed that to take place at that time. So the principle that I want us to think about tonight from that story is this, is that a person can want many different things in life, and it may not even be wrong to want those things, but sometimes in a person's life, for all the things they want, there is something above and beyond everything else that they desire, and that is paramount in their lives, and everything else is inferior to that, So of all the things they would enjoy, this is what I'd really, really, really like to have. So hold on to that principle, hold on to that thought, and move into verse number 8 with us tonight in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And notice what the Apostle Paul says in verse number 8. He says, we are troubled on every side. We are troubled on every side. I know that what I'm going to share with us tonight is probably review for many of us, but I'm going to walk through this because not everyone will know what I'm about to explain. But Paul said on every side they were troubled. What does it mean whenever he says on every side? It means this, from every possible direction. 
from without, from within, from this side, from this direction, from over here, from over there. It didn't matter where you were looking. It didn't matter what area of life you were considering. He said, on every side, we are troubled. So what does it mean to be troubled? It means this, to be under pressure. As the Apostle Paul was trying to minister, as the Apostle Paul was trying to influence lives, as the Apostle Paul was trying to do the work that God had called him to do and spread the gospel to all the regions of the world that he had been called to, the Apostle Paul acknowledged that in this life he was under pressure. At the same time, you notice in verse number 8 he said this, that in addition to being troubled, he said, we are perplexed. We are perplexed. What does it mean to be perplexed? It just means this, to be at a loss. To be at a loss. What does it mean to be at a loss? It means to lack answers. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. I haven't really thought about it a lot until I was preparing for the message this evening. But, but as I was thinking about the Apostle Paul, and he declared that in the midst of his ministry, he was perplexed and he was at a loss and he didn't have all the answers, I thought to myself, thank you, Lord, for his transparency. It's good to know that even the Apostle Paul had those moments in his life where he was at a loss, where he did not have an answer to everything that was happening and everything that was taking place in his life. Me personally, I found some comfort in that, that the Apostle Paul was in the same position that I find myself in sometimes. But he goes on to say in verse number 9 that besides being troubled and besides being perplexed, he was also, as were those who traveled with him, he was persecuted. He was persecuted. So what does it mean to be persecuted? Well, it means to be harassed. It means to be troubled. It means to be mistreated. It means to be abused. The idea would also mean to be pursued or to be hunted. And, and so the idea is this, is, in the, is that in the ministry that God had called Paul to, there were people who were doing everything they could to make his life miserable. That would have been a part, at least, of the pressure that the Apostle Paul was under. And so there were these people who wanted to hunt him down, that wanted to pursue him, that wanted to harass him, that wanted to make his life miserable. And so he says that he is persecuted, but not only that, that he was cast down. That he was cast down. So what does it mean to be cast down? It just means this, to be thrown to the ground, so to speak. I don't believe that the Apostle Paul was speaking in a literal sense right here, but I think it was more of the allegory, it was more of an illustration or an illusion that he was trying to paint in their minds that, that as a result of the ministry where he was at, what God had called him to, and everything that they were dealing with and everything they were facing, that there were those feelings of, of being thrown down or cast down to the ground. So we understand this, do we not? From verse number 8 and 9, he said, We were troubled on every side. We were perplexed. We were persecuted. And we were cast down. Now, in light of everything that the Apostle Paul has mentioned, we know that he also gave a flip side to everything that they were also experiencing or enjoying in the ministry as well. We're familiar with this, right? 
So he says in verse number 8 that while they were troubled on every side, yet not were they distressed. So were they under pressure? Yes. Were they feeling it from all different directions? Yes. But he said that while they were troubled, they were not distressed. So what does it mean whenever he says that they were not distressed? Well, the idea would basically be this, is that they were not crushed under the pressure that they were under. So even in the midst of being under pressure, there was grace and there was strength and there was the ability that was given by God to not be crushed from the pressure of their lives and the ministry that God had entrusted them with. This is important, okay? This is very, very important. Are they under pressure? Yes, but God is sustaining them and not allowing them to be crushed or to be destroyed by the pressure of their lives and of the ministry. He says that though they were perplexed, they were not in despair. What does it mean to not be in despair? It just means to not be at your wit's end. It means that you're not completely frazzled and you're not completely frayed and you're not just one that is consumed by what is going on with life. And so here is Paul saying, you know, I don't have questions or rather I don't have answers for all the questions of life. But in spite of that, I am not in despair. I'm not... I'm not overwhelmed. I'm able to cope. I'm able to handle this. He says, we are troubled on every side, but he said, yet not distressed. I repeated that. I'm sorry. He said in verse number nine, persecuted, but not forsaken. What does it mean to be forsaken? It means to be abandoned. He goes on to say, cast down, but not destroyed. So Paul, what are you thinking? Paul, what are you feeling? Paul, what are you experiencing? I'm troubled, but not distressed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed. Just think about this for a moment. Is that a pretty incredible testimony? It is. Because I don't think Paul was exaggerating the circumstances or the situations of life that he was dealing with. So for Paul to say that he was wrestling with all of these thoughts, feelings, and emotions, but to say in spite of that, I am not distressed or in despair or whatever it may be, that is an incredible testimony. It's even more amazing when you take into consideration what he said in the first part of verse number 10, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. What does that statement mean? What is Paul trying to communicate here? Well, as I studied it out and as I did some reading and tried to look up the words and and put all this together, the, the general consensus is this, is that the Apostle Paul knew that as a result of his faithfulness to declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ, he was always at risk of being executed for what he was doing by way of service to the Lord. 
There was always that threat. There was always that possibility. Why? Because there were those who wanted to hunt him down. There were those who wanted to to seek him out so as to harass him and to hopefully possibly destroy him. And so here is the Apostle Paul realizing that any day, if the right person had their way, his life could come to an end simply because of his effort to preach the gospel. And in spite of all of it, Paul said, I'm not distressed, I'm not in despair, I'm not forsaken, and I'm not destroyed. So that in mind, I want us to answer a question. It's not a trick question, but I do want some kind of visible response. Not a loud verbal response, but just some kind of response so that I know I've asked this question correctly. The question is this. Was Paul a human being? All right. He was. Human beings tend to be consistent in their nature, do we not? We do. Say, what does that have to do with anything? Just ask yourself these questions. Though not distressed, though not in despair, though not forsaken, though not destroyed, if you were troubled, perplexed, persecuted, or cast down, would you want the circumstances of life to change? Any normal human being would want that. And I promise you this is important, so stay with me. The Apostle Paul speaks of the sustaining grace of God, the sustaining power of God that's not allowing him to be crushed, not allowing him to be destroyed, not allowing him to be overtaken and overwhelmed with all the questions of life. But though God has been gracious and though God has been merciful and though God has sustained him, here is what we have to know Paul wanted at different times in his life some kind of relief from the misery that the ministry would produce at times. You say the misery of the ministry? Yes, the misery of it at times, because it was not always fun for the Apostle Paul. There were times that it was difficult. There were times that it was tough. And so regardless of how God would have sustained him and did sustain him, there still had to be moments because of his humanity that these thoughts had to flash through his mind. I just wish or I would love for the circumstances to change. If I could, I would want things to be different. Now, that's important for this reason. If you look in verse number 10, he said this, Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. Basically saying the same thing in verse number 10, just rephrasing it and rewording it a little bit. But he says in verse number 11, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest or declared 
in our mortal flesh. I understand this may not be real exciting right now, but I want us to look at this one more time. In the last part of verse number 10, knowing that Paul's ministry always carried with it the risk of death, he was okay with it that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Though I have to carry this burden of the possibility of death at any time, Paul would say it is worth it if I am able to show also the life of Jesus in my body. He says, listen, for we always are delivered unto death for the sake of Jesus. But he said that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. Now, now what is the thought in this? What is the connection to this that I'm trying to convey? All right, here is Paul, and he speaks of being perplexed. He speaks of being distressed. He he speaks of these different feelings and attitudes and emotions and, and things that he's dealing with that no doubt any normal person would have wanted relief from. But more than anything, what did he want to see happen in his life? He wanted others to see the life of Jesus in his body and in his mortal flesh. So though he would have loved some relief, and though he would have loved some kind of comfort, and though he would have loved some kind of letdown from the stress of the ministry, above all that, here is what Paul's life wanted, and here is what Paul's testimony could be, is that more than anything of all the wants he could have, he wanted people to see Jesus and the life that he gives in him. You understand the principle here? Above everything else, here is what I want people to be able to see, the life of Jesus being exemplified and personified in my life. So all the other ones, what would they have been? They would have been secondary to the primary desire. Someone says, well, you're just taking a couple of verses and you're trying to apply that to his whole life. No, I'm saying this verse kind of, kind of puts into a, a, a nutshell the entire ministry of the Apostle Paul. Because, the, the, listen, the Apostle Paul would not have engaged in the ministry that he engaged in if it was not his desire for others to see the life of Christ through his flesh and through his body. You don't endure what he endured for no reason whatsoever. There was a higher calling to it. There was a greater purpose to it that he wanted others to see the life of Christ in and through him as an individual. Okay. Now, again, I know this may not be real exciting. I understand this may not be real thrilling. But here we are. I want to ask you something tonight. How many of us have wants as it relates to our lives? You probably have some wants, don't you? And I'm not talking about, ooh, I want to go here and eat, and ooh, I want to go over here and do this, and ooh, I I think that'd be fun, I want to do that. I want us to think about this tonight. How many of us 
have wants of a serious nature that, that we would say, you know, this isn't some little petty want that I have. This is something serious and this is something significant. I think a lot of us would say something like that, right? You know, you may look at your situation right now, and I know this may not be true of everyone, but you may look at your situation right now, and you may say something like this, right now I feel like I am under some pressure. I feel like things are just kind of coming at me from all different directions. I feel like I'm dealing with this, and I'm dealing with this, and I'm dealing with this, whatever it may be. And you may give testimony to the fact that God is giving grace, and God is sustaining you, and God is keeping you. But if you were honest, you may say something like this, man, I'd like to just have a little bit of relief from this pressure I'm under. Would you possibly find yourself wanting something like that at some point in your life? I think some of us would. I think sometimes we'd like some answers to questions that we can't seem to get the answers for. Sometimes, as I mentioned, I find myself perplexed. I find myself confused and asking questions. They may not overwhelm me. They may not overtake me. I may not be at my wit's end. But if you, ha- if you heard every conversation that I have from time to time, you would realize that there are times I've got questions that I would love some answers to. Have you ever wanted some questions answered? You look here for an answer. You look here for some explanation. You look here for some kind of a reason. And no matter where you look, you can't find it. It's frustrating sometimes. God's grace sustains, but you'd still love to have a couple of answers. You and I think it would just make us feel better about the situation. Persecuted? Eh, I don't know if we'd want to say we feel persecuted. But we might say something like this, that it's evident that there are people in our lives that don't like us, and any chance they have, they try to make our lives miserable. You know, you, you may not be like the Apostle Paul and say, you know, I fear death because of what I'm doing and how I'm living. But you might say, you know, there are just some people in my life that seem to get some kind of a thrill by making my life miserable and, and harassing me and, and just making life difficult for me. And, and if you've ever been in a situation like that, I, I think you would say this. It would be at times true of us that, that we'd say, you know, I, I want this to be over. I'm tired of dealing with this individual. What about the idea of being cast down? You ever felt like life has just kind of thrown you to the ground? You know, you're going along and thought everything was going well, and then all of a sudden life just kind of throws you down and kicks you. It's not a lot of fun, is it? Okay, I'm trying to show us something. I know the specifics are different, But the principle there is the same as what the Apostle Paul dealt with. The perplexities, the difficulties, the troubles, the anxieties, whatever it may be. And in the midst of all this, though God sustains, what do we want? Our flesh finds us wanting relief. I want over this. I want past this. I want through this. Now tonight as we think about that, if you can identify with what I'm saying, 
I just want to throw this out here for consideration. You may not need to hear this, but I'm going to share it for those of us who do. I want, just, I want us to know there's nothing wrong with us wanting these things to not be a part of our lives. You realize this? It's okay to say, I don't want this to be a part of my life. I don't want the questions. I don't want the distress. I don't want the despair. I don't want those things. There's nothing wrong with us admitting we don't want those things. But of all the things that we want in our lives by way of relief from the stress, the anxieties, the pressures, whatever it may be, I want to remind us tonight that as believers, there ought to be something that we want that is greater than everything else in the midst of the circumstances that we go through. What is it that we should want above everything else? What is it that we should desire above everything else? It should be that like the Apostle Paul, that as a result of our lives, we would want others to see the life of Jesus in us. That we would desire that the life of Jesus be manifest in our body and be made manifest in our mortal flesh. See, if, if I'm going to kind of put myself in the position of the Apostle Paul, here's what I would say. Have there been times where I felt pressure? Yes. Have there been times where I have felt confused? Yes. Have there been times where I felt like there were certain people just trying to make my life miserable? It's felt that way sometimes. Has there been times where I felt like life is just kind of throwing me to the ground? Yes. And have I wanted all that to change? Yes, I have. But beyond that, here is what I should want more than anything else is that in the midst of those moments, I should want others to see Jesus coming from my life. Kyle, are you under pressure? Well, maybe at this moment, and and if so, that's fine. God's grace will sustain. But what I hope someone else sees is Jesus in my life in that moment. Kyle, are you confused? Well, possibly in that moment. But what I want or what I should want for people to see in those moments of confusion is Jesus being real to me and my life. Now, why is that important? It's important for this reason. It is easy to make what should be our primary want a secondary want. You understand what I'm saying? Why do I need this reminder and why do some of you need this reminder tonight? Because it is easy to get it swapped in our lives. What should be our primary want for people to see Christ in us It is easy to swap that and say, okay, I want everything to change. I want everything to go back to good. I want everything to be made normal. And then they can see Jesus in me. And what it should be is, is in the midst of everything that's going wrong, above everything else, more than I want God to change my circumstances, I want others to look at my life and see Him 
in me. That should be our primary want. And if I'm not careful, I get that swapped and I'll, I'll, I'll let Jesus be seen after the circumstances of life have changed. I'm talking of myself. I'm trying to be transparent with you this evening. Here's what I have discovered of myself. I turn inward in the midst of difficult days. That's what I have a tendency to do. Life's difficult. Things aren't going the way I want them to go. I've got questions that aren't being answered. And what do I do? I, I begin to focus on self. And it becomes all about me. And it becomes all about my situation. My current set of circumstances. And when it becomes about me, you know what people see? They see me and not my Jesus. That's what they see. Because in the midst of the trying times, in the midst of the difficult days, if I'm not thinking straight, if I'm not keeping my wants in their proper place, they'll hear my sad story. They'll hear my sad set of circumstances. They'll hear my stories of self-pity. But they'll not hear of my Jesus who I ought to want them to see more than anything else they could see in my life. And this evening, I'm just going to ask you to be honest with yourself. And really not so much even honest with yourself because we can deceive ourselves. I would ask us tonight to be honest with ourselves with the aid of the Holy Spirit. And be willing to ask ourselves, when circumstances are not favorable, what tends to be my greatest want? What tends to be my greatest desire? Am I really wanting people to see Jesus in me? Or am I wanting my circumstances to change first? And then I'll get Jesus back to where he's supposed to be. I can't answer the question for you any more than you can answer the question for anyone else, for myself. But I think we need to look at our lives every once in a while and just be honest and say, how much of a desire is it of ours that people see Jesus at all times, but especially in the midst of the trying times of life? not saying this is true of all of us. I'm just saying this is true of some of us. Sometimes we're not near as great as we'd like to pretend we are. That wasn't personal. That wasn't levied against you. I'm just saying sometimes some of us are not as great as we'd like to think we are. Because when life gets tough, our want is no longer Jesus being seen in us. Let's all stand and bow our heads for prayer tonight. Fathers, I come to you this evening. 
Lord, it would be my prayer that you would help us to let you reveal in our lives any place where we may struggle with this. God, of all the things we should want, no matter the circumstances of life, it should be that we would want others to see you in us. Lord, as we talked about last week, and it ties into tonight's message, that somebody would be able to see the power of the gospel in our lives. That you in our lives would be so obvious and so manifested that people almost lost sight of the situation and the circumstances we were in. So God, I pray that you'd help us to be honest, and Lord, if there are things we need to change, that we'd be willing to do so. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.